The first reading is from Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. How many of you have been to Israel? A handful of you. Well, you will, those of you who have been will have almost, un, almost undoubtedly been to the, the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth. Did you do that? Yes. What an amazing building. Um, 
But to get to it, you have to go up this sort of side road, and there's the, 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 the Islamists have put a big sign up which basically quotes the Quran, saying that anybody who full, follows any other religion will be the losers. So they, um, they like to have their say. But when you get to this extraordinary building um, where the site traditionally of the Annunciation to Mary, it's an amazing experience. Like many of those experiences when you travel around in the Holy Land, some of them have a certain sort of artificial feeling to them. You're not too sure if, if, they're, if they're really that authentic. But other places, that doesn't matter because they have a grace of their own, and this is, this is one of them. Are you ready for Christmas? Are all of those um, presents, presents um, wrapped up? Have you finished the shopping? Is the fridge jam-packed with all the food that you need for when the family comes? Some of which you'll probably end up throwing away because it's gone off. But don't fear, I bring you great joy of good news. You've only got a day and a half to go and it's Boxing Day. Which is sometimes, some ways the best day of Christmas because it's when you can really relax, isn't it? You sort of, there's no stress to Boxing Day unless you're organising the hunt or something like that. But there's no stress to Boxing Day. So you can sort of get up nice and late. Um, the kids will be downstairs playing with the presents, or grandchildren, in many of our cases, will be downstairs playing with the presents. You can sleep in, relax. There's a certain stress to Christmas, isn't there? I want to talk a little bit about story this morning. I think story um, has a number of different meanings, just simply the word story. Story can be myth. It can be pure fiction. Um, the cinemas are, are probably jam-packed as we speak with people going to see the latest Star Wars film or something like that. There's a whole string of good films out at the moment. We, um, we only started going to the pictures again quite recently. We went to see um, Murder on the Orient Express over at Ashford a few weeks ago. Fiction. The bookshelves in the shops are filled with fiction. Is that what this story of Mary being visited by the angel and then going on to have a virgin child, a child as a virgin, is that fiction? Some people would say that the Bible in many ways doesn't have to be taken literally, that many of these stories reflect a deeper truth. And I'm, I don't mind that. I think, I think that's probably an element of truth. We shouldn't just read the Bible as if it's, as if it's factual history. We should always look at the meaning that goes inside. So, for instance, um, Jesus feeding the 5,000 could be taken at two, in two ways. It could be taken as a pure story, but with a meaning that it's our duty as God's followers, as God's disciples, much as the disciples did, to go out and find food and distribute it to the world. Or did Jesus actually bless that food and 5,000 people were fed, fed very well from just that, that, that sort of um, five loaves and, and two small fishes? Is it a literal thing or is it a deeper thing? See, actually, I don't know. But a God who created the universe of such gigantic proportions and complexity 
and in some ways also the, the most minute details of that creation, a God who can do all of that doesn't really have a problem with sorting out a few fish and a couple of loaves and feeding 5,000 people. He doesn't have a problem with making it possible for Peter to walk on water. Another story there with several layers of meaning. Because as Christians, we have to sometimes get out of the boat of our comfort zone and do things for God that we feel uncomfortable with and challenged by. The virgin birth. Is it just a story? Is it a myth? Or is it reflecting something that really happened? There was a very interesting series on television recently um, where people recounted their stories of what happened to them during the Blitz. And they could remember vividly what happened. Although it was 70-plus years ago, the intensity of what happened at that time was seared into their memory. And they could remember vivid details of what happened to them. And I think that's what the Bible is for us. And many of the accounts that we have, the stories, in inverted commas, that we have in the Bible are there because those things happened. Now, I'm not the sort of person who feels that somebody who doesn't actually take some of these things literally should be sort of cast out into the outer darkness and probably tied to a stake and burnt on a Saturday morning in the middle of Canterbury. I don't really believe that. It's up to you, in a sense, to take your own view on the accuracy, if you like, the historical accuracy of the stories in the Bible. But I can see the argument on both sides. I can also see that many of these accounts in the Bible have to be taken as examples of what things mean for us. Hollywood loves a sequel. They can take a really good movie and make even more money out of it by spinning it a second, third, fourth. What are we up to now in the Star Wars series, episode seven? Eight. Episode eight. Yes, it is. Plus one in between that was like an episode three and a half as well. So it, actually it's nine when you think about it. But yes, they love a sequel. They can make a load more money. As people, we have effectively sat an audition to be in the sequel. We are actors in the Bible in the sense that the story, the narrative of the Bible continues with us today. Taking a, um, a family service can be quite a challenge. I was um, talking um, years ago um, at a service and the, the daughter of one of our friends was actually in the congregation. And I was saying about how God doesn't have his own hands. He has to use our hands to do his work in the world today. And I said, I said so, so where does God get his hands from in the world today? And this little voice piped up from a second-hand shop. <laughs> yeah. Leaders of children's services, beware. You're never quite sure what you're going to get. But that is true. God gets, uses our hands, our talents, our voice, our presence, our love, us, 
to take his narrative, his story, forward. There is nobody else. It's us. And we may be a minority in the world today, broadly speaking. There's, there's whatever there is, about 90 or 100 people in this church today. There's several thousand shopping out in the high street here and coming past Windsheet. That was, that was open and very busy when you drove in this morning. Everywhere is people doing the last-minute things. We are the ones who are bringing God's love and presence into the world. We don't do that alone, though. The disciples were, I'm sure, filled with wonder and joy and disbelief, probably, when Jesus appeared to them after the crucifixion. You can imagine the power of those moments when Jesus appeared with them, they could touch him, he even ate a meal with them. But that short interlude came to an end. Jesus left them, physically. His body no longer appeared to them, he was no longer with them in that sense. But the Holy Spirit came and empowered these very ordinary people to become the early church. That Holy Spirit comes and empowers us as well. We can't do it on our own. God's Holy Spirit comes to us now at Christmas and at any time throughout the year when we are called to, as Peter did, get out of the boat and walk a little bit on the water. So my prayer for you is that in this coming year, and where did the last year go? That seems to have gone very quickly. In this coming year, in whatever way is appropriate for you, you'll do a little bit of walking on the water with God's Spirit within you and take his message to the world around us. Thanks be to God.